0: all right so welcome to adventures among ideas Uh, i'm trying out a new format today where i try to introduce a philosopher or scholar by discussing uh, three to five or so of their important essays Um, i'm a big fan of the essay as a form of writing as a form of uh, giving your ideas explaining your ideas telling about some interesting story whatever and my conceit here, my idea here is that you can get a pretty good insight into a who into who a writer is um, what they're all about by reading a small number of their best essays. So today I'm going to try to introduce Jay Ogilvy in four essays. Um, Since Ogilvy is not so widely known, I'll briefly say who he is. He began his career as an academic philosopher, writing especially on social philosophy. Uh, In the late 1970s, he met Peter Schwartz, who's worth looking up, and transitioned more into consulting, uh, and especially what is known as scenario planning. I'll introduce the idea of scenario planning a little later. Anyway... Ogilvy has had an unusual career for a philosopher, and we'll see this reflected in some of his essays. Um, All the essays I talk about today will be listed and linked, if possible, in the description. So check that out if you're interested. But we'll begin with something more on the academic side, an essay called Understanding Power from 1978. Understanding Power. Um, This is a pretty dense and technical essay. Uh, but it shows some interesting continuities with Ogilvy's later work. One of uh, Ogilvy's major interests, kind of throughout his career really, but especially in the early part of his career, uh, was paradigm shifts or is paradigm shifts, which is to say shifts in how we broadly understand reality. In the 20th century, he sees a shift from simple cause-effect or mechanistic or hierarchical explanations uh, of reality to explanations that were more fluid relational heter- uh, heterarchical or networked whereas hierarchy implies a kind of centralized top-down flow of power we were starting to talk about the theme of power hierarchy is more a kind of centralized top-down um explanation or implementation of power heterarchy on the other hand is more competing centers of power that makes you look for more um how power is more um, competing among different nodes in a network maybe or more as something as a relationship between institutions and people and various kinds of things Uh, so this is key to understanding power in the new postmodern era i think is the kind of the argument of the essay is it's not hierarchical not so much a top-down control as more of a mutual competition cooperation among various actors and factors so power is a more maybe decentralized affair than it may have been in earlier societies and we need an explanations of power that can account for this decentralization in fact um, how to conceive of political power was one of many academic debates in the 1970s this was one of the big uh, the big debates, and Ogilvy is kind of intervening in this debate, Debate, as we say. Um, this debate was partly uh, continuing fallout from things like C. Wright Mills's book, The Power Elite, which was published in 1956, and there were some other books around this time that um, were trying to understand the nature of power in places like the United States, in big countries and the big nations. Um, In his essay, Ogilvy criticizes the main concepts of power by showing how they rely on like a Newtonian, as in Isaac Isaac Newton, a Newtonian Newtonian paradigm, uh, which doesn't fit with the conditions of actual life as we have it today. This Newtonian conception of power sees power as a kind of force operating between two objects, much like gravity. If power is a force in this way, then it would appear to be amenable to physical laws, describable by physical laws, and we ought to be able to measure it in some kind of rational way, in the way that you can compare the relative gravitational pull of two celestial objects, like the moon and stars, whatever, the moon and the earth, you can compare their relative gravity. Combined with this Newtonian metaphor of power is an economic metaphor so not only is power a kind of some kind of force but it's also divisible into some kind of money like unit kind of a unit like we think of money as being divided into and this unit can be accumulated or shared or distributed or concentrated in one place and so on Uh, we talk about the concentration of power like we talk about the concentration of wealth as if we can measure them in the same way uh, if you put these newtonian and economic metaphors together you get a picture of people or groups accumulating power which they can share with other people or groups uh, and use as a kind of force to get other people and groups to do things they maybe really don't want to do or get them not to do things that they really want to do uh, and i think this is still the common sense view of power which you And you can see this when people talk about the government or george soros or bill gates uh, trying to grab power or accumulate power or whatever Um, but what would this metaphor actually mean in concrete terms Uh, well ogilvy points out that this simplistic view of power might and i emphasize might make sense in relatively simple socio-political systems but it doesn't help us that much today humans We've always loved being able to attribute responsibility for what happens in the world to simple causes. For example, to a power elite, some kind of cabal that's making all the decisions for us. But what simple, singular cause can be pinpointed for something like the Vietnam War, or the Civil War, or even today's war in Ukraine? Smart people still argue about what actually caused each, each of these conflicts. I mean, you could say, that in the Ukraine, that the Ukraine war had a simple cause in Putin's decision to invade Ukraine. But what exact factors caused Putin to decide to invade Ukraine and what factors caused those factors? Uh, so instead of finding a simple cause effect system, when we try to analyze the, these events, not so simple, just this happens, then this happens, this guy made this decision, so this happens and um, But instead of finding this kind of simple cause-effect system, we find what Ogilvy calls a complex network of conflicting forces. So think of any large social, political, or economic system. Uh, Whatever our intentions may be when we try to act in a complex network of conflicting forces, we can't very well predict or control the outcome. Your actions are maybe... um, opposed and supported in different ways in different measures in different degrees by all the other nodes in the network and you can't be sure what the net effect of all of this is gonna be having greater power in this network perhaps means uh, being able to make a bigger ripple in it but this ripple isn't likely to have the precise outcome you want again see putin's invasion of ukraine it's a big ripple but um it's not does it match the outcome anyone wanted? I mean, that's hard to say exactly. Uh, and and you get phenomena like an initially big ripple, some big decision, big event can get quickly tamped down. And you see this sometimes with product launches with com- uh, different companies. You know, They try to make a big splash and it doesn't go anywhere um, despite how much money they put behind it. And an initially small ripple, kind of like the butterfly effect, can get gradually amplified. So you get these weird, f- unpredictable phenomena in these complex uh, network systems. So this is the main thrust of Ogilvie's essay that power is not something that could be attributed to simple human agents. He's going to critique this concept in the next essay I talk about. Um, of the the kind of self or the human agent. Um, so whatever power is it's more of a relational and networked affair now there are some unsatisfying things about the essay that i would say the critical and deconstructive aspect of it is very strong the constructive theory of power is kind of cursory it is an essay after all not a book he did write a book on a um in this area called um mini-dimensional man which i'm i won't get into but it's worth worth uh, worth a look um but Anyway, the essay as an essay, I think, is important because it points points toward Ogilvy's interest in figuring out ways in which we can uh, regain some measure of influence in this complex system where everyone tends to feel, feel powerless. Right. We all kind of feel powerless these days, even if we're wearing the mask of the powerful. I mean probably ask any president they don't <laughs> just get to do what they want they don't their decisions don't get implemented they can't uh, have the effects they want they're uh, very tightly constrained in what they can do even when you're the leader of the so-called leader of the free world um, so I want to transition now from the essay understanding power to a related essay published a few years later called from command to co-evolution toward a new paradigm for human ecology long title but gives you a sense of what we're going to talk about um, <clears throat> so here again Ogilvy explores the paradigm paradigm shift away from simple cause-effect models of reality toward interrelated networks or systems um, Ogilvy demonstrates this by discussing changes in literary theory and psychology I'm not going to go into great detail about this part of the essay here, although this is personally very interesting to me since I deal a lot with uh, literary, both literary theory and psychology. But basically, um, Ogilvy points out how the convention, conventional concepts of author and self have come under attack with the emergence of new ways of thinking, such as structural, all those isms, right? Structuralism, deconstruction, or deconstructionism, people used to call it, um, as well as new movements in psychology you um, probably uh, haven't heard of. Suffice to say that in the new paradigm, just as there is no unified author who can definitively authorize the meaning of a text, right? There's no um, under this new these new kinds of ideas. There was no uh, kind of unitary author who could tell us definitively this text might the thing that I wrote means exactly this, Um, just as we can no longer say that. Look to the author in this way. There is also no unified self we can look to in making sense of human action to understand a text or to understand an act we have to broaden our perspective to include the complex networks in which the text or the act is uh, embedded in which it's fitted into in which it's related to all these other factors and likewise again power power can no longer be viewed as a locatable substance kind of like a dollar bill or something and of course the Um, Money is more complicated than uh, we like to think as well, but, you know, comparing um, power to the kind of uh, a currency or something. So power can no longer be viewed in this way as a a kind of thing that we can easily or simply locate any more than can an author or a self. These are also not things that are simply locatable in the world. We've already talked about this a bit. But what is new in this essay is Ogilvy's contrast between nihilistic and polycentric responses to this disintegration of old paradigms. So how do you respond when there no longer seems to be firm foundations for human society or for human action? This um, failure of foundations can be understood as either a disaster or an opportunity, as either nihilistically a disaster or kind of polycentrically, as an opportunity for us. If political and economic institutions are, like authors and selves, networks of conflicting forces, then no institution, however ideally constructed, however utopian, is likely to be able to meet all of our diverse demands. Things just aren't going to work out that way. In the face of this state of affairs, we may be inclined to simply give up in despair, mumbling all is vanity. Or, on the other hand, we can accept the polycentric nature of the new world order, or disorder, or whatever you want to, however you want to think about it. We can accept this kind of decentralized state of affairs and seek to find out what is in fact possible and impossible within this system. What sorts of influence do we in fact have? Can we in fact have in the complex networks we form? with other people and institutions um, what new parapolitical or para-economic or para-media organizations when can we create kind of organizations outside traditional institutional structures ogilvy points to a few possibilities in his essay but i think obvious examples are uh, especially visible today after you know these decades of continuing developments um, so I think some uh, good examples are visible today, and for example, in independent media organizations, which have, for many of us, taken the place of what we kind of now call legacy media, such as newspapers or network um, news programs, cable TV news programs. I mean, personally, I haven't really read a newspaper or watched TV news in years. Uh, And there are some who will despair, kind of nihilistically despair, over the loss of a common source of truth. But this truth was never really so simple as we wanted to believe. And the new independent commentators and reporters, uh, if you take them together as kind of one chaotic polycentric sense-making machine, um, this new kind of... um, This new kind of system or network of commentators and reporters quite possibly gives us a better insight into the nature of our current reality than could um, you know a walter cronkite or a new york times in its heyday so now i'm gonna jump ahead more than 20 years to an essay called scenario planning art or science it's worth pointing out that ogilvy by this time ogilvy had exited academia had uh, quit the academic rat race in 1979 and uh, entered the world of research and consultation at places like SRI International and then uh, Global, Global Business Network, which he co-founded. One of the important tools being developed at this time was scenario planning, and I believe that in scenario planning, Ogilvy found one kind of answer to his question of how we can influence complex polycentric or heterarchical systems uh, scenario planning is one way to regain power in a world where we've all been rendered more or less as impotent egos so to speak astride and out of control global id to put it in uh, kind of Freudian terms uh, so what is scenario planning well Planning, as uh, Ogilvy puts it, citing Erie de Gois, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but planning is about changing minds and scenarios. What are scenarios? Scenarios are stories. uh, Quoting Ogilvy here, scenarios are stories, narratives of alternative futures. Scenario planning, then, is telling stories about possible futures based on our desires, on what we want, and on the current state of the world and its constraints. You've got to take both of these things into account. What is the world right now, and what do we actually want? Uh, Scenario planners tell these stories for the purpose of influencing the future. So why tell stories? You tell stories to persuade, to influence to have some control over what happens. When we tell stories to each other about the future, we make explicit our hopes and our fears, right? We let people know what our hopes and fears are, and thus uh, we constitute a kind of individual or communal subjectivity that can produce a sense of empowerment. We kind of show who we are, what we want, and um, perhaps gain a sense of control over what will happen when we start projecting into the future when say for example an organization makes clear to itself what might happen in the future the good and the bad it can begin to take steps to avoid the bad or the undesirable the undesired and move toward the good what is desired this is not a wielding of power in the traditional sense which ogilvy critiqued in his earlier work Um, it's more uh, convincing people or even just convincing yourself of course you could uh, Do your own do this in your own life, Um, but it's convincing people or convincing yourself to play game A instead of game B. So as to avoid future X and attain future Y. Telling stories is perhaps the key way we wield power or influence each other in this kind of postmodern world. Uh, Stories are everywhere. Greta Thunberg tells one story about climate change. Bjorn Lomborg tells another the cdc and who tell one story about covid and covid vaccines people like robert malone and peter mccullough and you know you probably know all the names uh tell another maybe you don't i don't know (laughs) right but competing stories and it's not i think a case of the truth lying somewhere between it's not necessarily you know that old thing where you have two sides and the truth is somewhere in the middle um it's more like um you know Citizens, regular people and businesses, decide which story is more compelling and they act accordingly. So one one story is more persuasive than another. People find one story more persuasive and they act like that story is true. Um, But scenario planning is, you know, is not just the telling of stories, but it's a kind of rationalization or systematization of this process of telling stories. It's raising it to the level of method and consciousness. So it's both an art and a science, Ogilvy argues. Um, As he says, scenario planning brings together the science of what is and the art of what might be. I think that's a good way to put it. The science of what is, the science of determining what is really now happening, and the art of imagining the dreams or the nightmares that might follow from this current state of affairs. And facing the sublimity is a a word that he uses in the next essay. Facing the sublimity of a present which might proceed along various satisfying or disastrous trajectories is called Facing the Fold in the last essay that I'm going to talk about here. Um, And in this essay, Ogilvy focuses on the attitudinal, attitudinal or emotional aspects of scenario planning. Uh, What he calls the sceneric stance is seen to represent the kind of intellectual-emotional maturity that doesn't take the easy route of optimism or pessimism. It means um, taking responsibility for the choices that we can make in affecting the future. As he says, acting deliberately yet flexibly, resolutely yet cautiously. Uh, The concept of the fold in Facing the Fold comes from the mathematician Rene Tom, T-H-O-M. Without getting uh, technical about it, a fold is a bifurcation point in reality. You see a scary stranger approaching you on on a dark street. Do you stand your ground or run away? Fight or flight? Uh, Various factors push you toward one or another of these options, but at some point, reality folds in one direction and you find yourself either confronting or fleeing an observer someone watching perhaps you uh holding these two options in mind weighing their consequences is in the sceneric stance this is a sceneric stance you're um holding different options in mind at the same time um ogilvy is fond of quoting f scott fitzgerald who wrote that the test of a first-rate intelligence this is in um Fitzgerald's essay called the crack up so the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in the mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function one should for example be able to see that things are hopeless and yet be determined to make them otherwise that's a pretty good description of the sceneric stance we're facing folds continuously any new technology forces you might say a fold which has to be faced the ability to split the atom forced us to confront multiple futures we might annihilate ourselves we might build a cheap energy utopia or we might end up somewhere in between extra energy with uh, not to be too glib about it a side of annihilation um the invention of the internet and then the smartphone also did this So, more ways to get addicted, distracted, exploited, but also more ways to get connected to others and informed about the world. Uh, we face a similar multiplicity of futures today with uh, things like automation and artificial intelligence, which are everyone's talking about. By systematically imagining and analyzing possible futures, we may be able to gain some control over the future in these areas um and speaking of technology there's a long and interesting section in this last essay facing the fold along uh, a very interesting section on digital utopianism i won't get into this here digital utopianism links up actually with another links up nicely with another essay of Ogilvie's called human enhancement and the computational metaphor which is also worth reading uh, but this would take us in a whole other direction and i don't want this to be too long so um and i'm also not don't want to go into like really concrete examples of scenario planning you can find this also in uh, some of ogilvy's other writings my purpose here to kind of bring us to a conclusion is that uh you know by looking at these four essays i wanted to draw attention to one aspect of ogilvy's intellectual development From a focus on power and powerlessness in the postmodern era to the adoption and the philosophical analysis of scenario planning. The concern with power and the attraction to scenario planning I think link together because scenario planning is a framework for systematically interpreting the present so as to give us influence over the unknowable future. That is all I wanted to talk about today, so have a good one, like the smash button, and see you later. Bye for now.